I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, when you pray for Joshua and his voice, he's like, can I please cut out a song? <laughs> and I totally understand his voice is just going on him, so keep that in your prayers. And then also, speaking of prayer, um, what, one of the things that we've been, well, it's been on my heart for a long time. I'm talking about a long time, and uh, because my wife and I have been doing this for years, we, we used to go on mission trips and uh, to get out there and to step out into this world and, and uh, go and, and bring the Lord to them through love, through action, through many different ways. Um, and as we're doing this uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians. <laughs> Philippines mission trip, I will say Philippians, you'll know what I mean. As we do the Philippines mission trip, uh, one of the things that uh, is kind of a two-pronged thing, um, and, and I think this is what we're going to call this ministry, is step up and step out. Some people are going to step up, step up uh, by helping, you know, by, by writing a little check. And when I say a little check, well, I understand you're not going to sit down and write a $5,000 check. But you know what I mean. Uh, you know, but, but you might help out. You might sponsor them on a trip. You may help with fundraising and stuff like that. You can step up and help our ministry, our people go out there and reach across the world, which is an amazing thing. And then some people are going to step out. That means step out of your comfort zone, step out of what you're used to, step out of this nation, and actually go uh, on a mission trip with us. Um, So uh, kind of step up and step out, two-pronged kind of idea, and it can all be done with God, and we have, uh, and we're going to be starting some fundraising and helping out, because we even have one person going, oh, I I really want to go, but I saw how much, and it's about $2,100 per person to go, Um, you know, over $1,100 of that is plane ticket, you know, and the rest of it's ministry costs, and somebody goes, I really want to go, but I, I, as soon as I saw that number, I knew I couldn't. And I said, well, if that number wasn't in play, would you go? And they said, yeah. So that's where we as a church and we as a body, and there's different opportunities we'll give you to help, help fundraise, can step up and help those that want to go. So we'll be presenting those different ideas and all that because we don't want money to be an issue because with God, money's not an issue. See what I'm saying? If God puts something on our heart, puts something on your heart, then he's going to provide on that end. Amen? We've got to truly, truly believe that, okay? So uh, just something to think about uh, as we start uh, moving forward. We'll get more information out to you. So I think, uh, uh, I, well, right now there's probably four of us that are, that are going to be going on the mission trip, joining the other church and, and so forth. We're going to have a big missions team. It's going to be like 26, 27 people, I think. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. Well, Let's grab our Bibles. We are going to be in Exodus 31 this morning. And if you can believe it, this week, and I think next week, we're going to be wrapping up Exodus. Uh, You're wondering, how can I do that? Don't worry, it'll work out. But uh, I I think we're going to be headed toward the book of Galatians next. Uh, We haven't done Galatians here, so that'll be a uh, a lot of fun. So... We'll do that. But uh, as we get into the word this morning, uh, Exodus 31, like I said, uh, the Lord has been speaking through Moses about building the tabernacle. And we've gone over that several times and what the different parts of it mean. They're in the middle of all this. And, and, and we talk like it's finished. But for Moses, I mean, we, we think of tabernacle, we, we start thinking Western Wall. We start thinking temple that was destroyed and, and uh, you know, early in, in uh 
uh, after Christ died right in there. I think it was 70 AD, it was destroyed and so forth. We start thinking along those lines. But for Moses, this is all new. This is all in the middle of it, in the beginning, you know, the, the whole idea of worshiping God in this way. So verse 31, it's, or chapter 31, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, uh, the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. This is important for Moses and the Israelites to see God has his hand on others also. It's not just Moses. He has a plan for Israel. He has a plan for each one of his children that are involved with him. The Lord says, I need you to go to find this guy. He's the one who's going to build this stuff. He's been chosen. That's a very important thing. Especially for those who ever felt in their, you know, their life that the Lord has chosen them for a task. Not only has the Lord chosen you, but you're not out there on your own. Moses wasn't out there on his own. These other people that God is choosing for tasks, they're not out there on their own. But he's also anointed them for the job, which is really important. We don't know if this guy... Uh, Bezael, you know, Bezalel, however you want to pronounce it. We don't know if Bezael was waiting for Moses. We don't know if he was already thinking about designs, that God already put it in his head, and he started drawing, and, and, and he didn't even know that these drawings were going to be put into the temple. You know, we don't know this information. Uh, you know, did, did he have his backpack with his tools already? You know, was the Spirit already, already talking to him? But we do know is that the Lord puts people into positions that they feel inadequate for. Have you ever been put in a job position where you're sitting there going, oh, this is great, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know? And this is what the Lord does. He grabs people and says, I'm going to put you in this position where everybody else says, God, <laughs> God wants you to do that? Oh, okay, you know. And okay, now they may not outwardly act like that, but inside that's what they're thinking half the time, you know? Because why? We're humans. We're humans. So God, you know, God grabs people. Maybe it's at work or, or your job changes and it's a time it sounded really good. Then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not really sure about this. But if the Lord has called you into whatever position that is, then he will empower you. He will show you. He will give you the gifting. So here's where Bezael was, uh, was. In verse 6, it says, Moreover, I have appointed uh, Obilab. Okay, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Appointed these guy, this guy out of the tribe of Dan to help him. So maybe these guys knew each other? Maybe not. But the Lord starts to assemble a team. It's a very interesting thing. God calls Moses, and he, hel- and he used Aaron to help him. God calls Bezalel, and he gets other people to come around and help him. He's already covered all the things that they needed to make. And it's an interesting walk for Moses, because even though Moses appears to be in charge, he isn't in charge. He's really not in charge. See, that's that's the thing about spiritual leadership. You appear to be in charge, but you're really not in charge because the Lord is really calling the shots through Moses. 
And you have to be very careful because you can get a God complex in. Well, you know, God told me this. You know, all act all high and mighty. When it's really not, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Everything we should do, or everything we do in life should point back to our creator. The way we treat each other, the way we treat our spouses, the way we treat our coworkers, the way we treat the, the, the young lady or young man or older lady or older lady, uh, older man at the checkout counter, the way we treat our waitress or waiter or whatever you call them. I guess we can't use the word waitress anymore, can we? Or server. I'm sorry, server. That's the correct term now. You know, what, whoever we treat, it should represent and point back to God. I treat them well. Why? Because God tells me to treat people well. You see? And then they find out you're a Christian, and then the, the, the blocks just start tumbling. You know what I'm saying? You can have an influence on this world by treating people the right way, because ultimately the Lord is in charge. The Holy Spirit has showed Moses all these things, and everyone would have come down to see what Moses was doing today. But God chooses to empower others to help Moses. And this is just as important in the New Testament as it is with the Old Testament. God often chooses multiple people to get his will done. And it causes an interdependence on God's people. This is kind of an Old Testament glimpse of a New Testament reality. Because we see the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on people. Which didn't happen much in the Old Testament. That we know of. I mean, God can do it without writing it all down. It's not all written down what God did during those times. But God, you know, he empowers people. Everyone did not experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit like we can. You know, all, you, know you have all these two to four million Israelites, and you only have priests and Moses who could be, <coughs> who could be in the temple area and so forth. You know, all these, there was specific people that could do specific things. But we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We can be empowered by the Holy Spirit every day. Every day. To feel the fullness of the Spirit. So it's different for us as New Testament Christians since Jesus came down. And we, like I said, he gave us the Holy Spirit. All of us who have been born again, all of us who decided that Jesus is Lord of our lives, have been empowered by that Spirit. Now many churches disagree about when this happens. Does it happen before baptism? Does it happen at water baptism? Does it happen in addition to water baptism? There's all these disagreements on how it happens. We all get the Spirit, okay, when we accept Jesus. Plain and simple. Now, I do also believe that there are special times when the Lord empowers certain people to do certain things because God has ordained something to happen and he gives you an extra power to, you know, extra power. What I mean is the spirit enlivens you at that moment in time to do something. That is great. That's wonderful. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's nothing new, okay? But don't go with this whole deal of, well, unless you've done this or unless you've done that, you don't get into heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you put him as Lord of your life, you go to heaven, plain and simple, okay? So as we talk about the Holy Spirit, don't think all willy-nilly and, oh my gosh, you're getting all weird and all that. Sometimes the Lord does get weird, okay? Sometimes the Lord does stuff that we do not understand. Did your parents ever do something that you didn't understand? Yeah. And you're thinking, 
That's the stupidest thing in the world. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say stupid. I'm sorry, we got the kids in here. Yeah, Brandon's over here going, amen. <laughs> yeah. There are times when your parents do something that you do not understand. That's the same with us and God. There's times when God does something that we do not understand, and we just got to go, okay, fine, I don't understand. Sure, I'll do it, you know, or I'll, I'll go that direction, or I'll believe you, or whatever it is, because God is in charge. Let me get out of this. I get off on tangents. But, but as believers, we all have the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us. And one thing I do know, if God calls you to something, he's going to empower you to do that. It's going to be through different giftings, through different things that the Lord has given you. He gives you an ability, a natural ability, but also he can give you a gifting on top of that ability. It may have something to do with your natural abilities. It may be something in addition to those natural abilities. That's the Lord. He works in mysterious ways. But God will develop you when he calls you to something. Then it goes on and says in verse 12 or halfway through, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for all generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So once again, the Lord brings up the Sabbath. He brings this up over and over. And as we've talked about in Scripture, when the Lord brings up something over and over and over, it must be important. So what is interesting is that the th this is the third time in the book of Exodus that God teaches us about this. And he's going to bring it up a fourth time before we're done. God keeps repeating this important th uh, thing about the Sabbath. This is where, you know, once a week rest that many of us, uh, you know, try to enter into. What's interesting is my wife just read a study and she almost like passed it out to the ladies. But the more we read it, we went, uh, okay, we like the premise. We understand that. But then they go into a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo, you know. Yeah, anyway. But the premise was they've done a study and they say those that rest at least once a week, in other words, do something different from their jobs and all those kind of things, live longer. It's almost like the Lord knew what he was doing. It's an amazing thing. We're not only supposed to go and worship him, but we're also supposed to take that time and do something different. Now, I've noticed with those that are retired, you're sitting there going, well, I rest all the time. I, I know retired people that are way busier than people who are working full-time jobs. So, you know, you still have to take that time and rest. So, you know, God repeats this thing over and over. And to really rest with the Lord is to let go of the burden of life. Guess what? It doesn't matter if you worry about it or not. Well, it does matter because... If you worry about something, you get nervous a lot, don't you? And you constantly think about it. Your mind constantly goes, you know, you can't stop thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night, you, you've got to let that go. And that's what part of resting is about, to give that burden. When I worry about something, it occupies my mind, and you just go over and over it. But it's such a hard thing to do to let it go. It's interesting where the Lord teaches about rest, it's right before these guys are going to do great things for the Lord. The Lord has them rest and teaches them about rest, reminds them about rest, and then he's going to do great things with them. The Lord is talking with the leadership of the church about rest here. Those who are building things for God have to rest. And we're able to, you know, 
And, and we have to be able to, to not do everything. You know, for some reason, um, when you get in a leadership of certain things, you feel responsible. You feel like you've got to do everything, you know. And, and, uh, it, it, but the Lord goes, I don't want you to do everything. I want you to do a few things well, not everything okay. Someone comes to me and says, well, pastor, we ought to be doing this. And sometimes my answer is, great, when are you going to start? What? Well, I think you need to be. Well, no, there, there's no you around here. It's we. So when are we as in you? You know, when are you got to help out with this. It's not just I'll lay it on one person. We have to have rest. We have to be able to rest. And that includes everybody. So it goes on in verse 18 and says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. This is so incredible. Imagine seeing and knowing God's handwriting. Can you recognize handwriting? I know when, there, I know when there's something that Lisa wrote, because I've seen her handwriting for, I don't know, almost 30 years now. I recognize my mom's handwriting. I recognize my dad's handwriting. I can recognize some of my grandmother's handwriting. You see it often enough. Okay, wouldn't it be awesome to see the Lord's handwriting? So we're talking physical here. But what, spirit, what about spiritual? Do you see God's handwriting when he's in action in this world? Good question. Do you know God enough to recognize when God is operating in the middle of a situation? That's a good question. We have to experience that. But here Moses is having this incredible mountaintop experience. Gets to see God's hand and come down. Was it the whole hand or just a finger? All this kind of stuff, you know, you know, riding on there. I mean, it's really cool. Been away from the children of Israel for about 40 days. Not that long. They should be doing okay, right? They won't get in any trouble in 40 days, right? Well, let's read on and see what kind of spiritual experience they've been having down in the valley. Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow, what was his name again? What, uh, yeah, yeah. What, oh, Moses. Who brought us out of Egypt? We don't know what will happen to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your, or then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Now, how did this happen? How? What were they thinking? Thank you. I mean, six weeks ago, they were saying, whatever God says we should do, we will do that. Do you remember teaching about that? They said, hey, you know, God, yeah, whatever, whatever you say, we're, gonna, we're all on board. And then six weeks later, they're fashioning out new gods. This is so crazy. 
Six weeks ago, they were on the mountain. Man, and now here, what was his, what was his name that brought us out? Oh, yeah, Moses. He's, he's the idiot that brought us out of Egypt. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. They got so impatient. And this is the trouble they get themselves into. Their own impatience. They're not willing to wait. This is a human thing. We hate to wait, don't we? I mean, wasted time is just wasted. Even though the scripture is packed with words about waiting. But we think that that waiting is just a waste, don't we? I mean, especially on Christmas morning. Isn't Grayson going to be up yet? Sorry, Brandon, I'm bringing you up. Brandon's like, when's Grayson going to wake up? You going to go wake up Grayson? Because why? He wants to unwrap his presents, right? We don't like to wait. Don't worry, Brandon, I don't like to wait either. None of us like to wait, okay? We think it's just a wait. Whether in line or how about a stoplight? Oh, they put in new stoplights down by where I live, you know, page exit. Sometimes it's great. You just fly through the whole thing. And sometimes you're like, I can't believe they put this light in. Come on. You know, you've all been there. I mean, you think these lights along, just go up to the Bay Area again. You know, every time, we, every time I'm irritated about Tulare or something, I just drive to a big city and I go, yeah, I remember this. You know. Sometimes it's waiting for the right man or right woman to marry. Our children to start, you know, start behaving. We just hate to wait. You know what's worse than, you know, worse than waiting? The thing you do when you are waiting. That can be worse sometimes. Whatever you decide to do right at that moment, when you're sick of waiting, usually ends up wrong. I mean, you're sitting there going, instead of waiting around, there's better, you know, better to do something. And that something often gets us in trouble, just like what's going on in Exodus 32. They go to Aaron, they say, hey, come make us some gods. Now, why do they, they ask Aaron this? Well, they're still acting like Egyptians. They still have that old, uh, old uh, town, the old stuff in them. You know, Aaron, he has the power. It was his rod that turned into a snake. He was with Moses. If I can get the leadership on my side, then, then it must be okay. He must have God-like powers. They haven't stopped being Egyptians yet. They haven't stopped being like the world. You know, back in Egypt, they had all these gods they could actually see. And now this, you know, this Moses fellow's up on top of the mountain, some god that we can't even look at. So they pick Aaron, legitimize the whole thing, get the pastor, well, the pastor's in Hawaii. Moses is up on the mountain. We'll get somebody else, anyone that's in charge. You know, I think we'll do this. What, what was the pastor's name? I, I think it was Alan. Oh, he's just gone. I mean, that's the way they're acting. Aaron, okay, okay, okay. Aaron, come in here. So they take the things that God has blessed them with, and they're making gods out of them, little gods, okay? Not big God, little God. And they're going to worship like Egyptians worship. And they're making a bull god named Apis, an Egyptian god. Psalm talks about this. Uh, Psalms does it. says they exchange their glory for an image of a bull that eats grass. Think about that for a second. Their glory was worshiping the God of the universe, and they exchanged it for a bull that eats grass. 
they're going back to the comfort zone. So Aaron sort of comes to his senses at one point or another in verse 5. He says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow we will ha- there will be a festival to the Lord. So he's kind of doing this half thing, you know. So the next day, the people rose early and, um, and, burnt, uh, and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. It seems to me that Aaron's afraid to, to lead here. It's like two to three million to, to one. I mean, these are big guys. They've been builders, you know. They, they, they know how to handle themselves. And he, you know, so his style of leadership is kind of flawed from the beginning. He's afraid of the people from the beginning, and this is never good. Anyone who's been a real people pleaser at work or in their, you know, they really have to work on being a leader. You can't be a people pleaser all the time. Because one thing I know is what? You can't please people, right? There's somebody who's always, always, always going to disagree with you. I was talking with Pastor Lewis the other day about the mission trip to the Philippines. And we are talking about cell phones. You know, it used to be you went on a mission trip and you were out there. You didn't have, you, you know, the big thing was ever so often you get to go to an internet cafe. When's the last time you've seen an internet cafe? You know what I'm saying? They used to have those all over the place. No more, you know, because everybody has their cell phones, instant communications. And, and some will even pay for the international service when they go over there and all that. And he's like, well, what do I, you know, he hates being the bad guy because he's trying to concentrate on the mission trip and not being the bad guy, you know. And, you know, somebody will pull out that cell phone at the wrong time. You're like, dude, that's not cool. This is not the time to bring that out. We're, we're doing ministry right now, you know. So I told him, I said, let me be the bad guy. Come to me and tell me, hey, so-and-so, can you go have a grace-filled conversation with them? And tell them, put the stupid phone away. I'm sorry, there's that word again. Um, put the, that, that phone away. You know, that way he can concentrate on leading the bigger group as a whole, you know. So, I mean, it's so, if you're called to leadership at any given point, someone will be mad at you by the way you've just led. Or what you're doing. Or what you're about to do. So they start pressuring you. Now, sometimes you have to be careful. You have to listen to people. Okay, you have to consider it. You have to go in prayer. But if the Lord's told you to do something, you don't just, you know, how's the wind blowing? Is it blowing my way? Okay, we'll do it right now. No, if the Lord's called you to do something and lead in a certain way, you do that. If God is calling you to leadership, you have to deal with your approval issues or you won't be able to lead God's people because sometimes God calls you to lead his people through this very narrow canyon and the leader has to say this way, and other people go, oh, no, 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 no. All our stuff's not going to fit. See, Aaron tries to solve this diplomatically when he should have just said, no, you were crazy. Moses is up there talking to the God of the universe. We're not going to do anything to mess this up, okay? We're not. But instead, he's trying to placate the people. No is a good word. Let's try that word all together. No. Okay, you can sound better than that. Come on. No. Uh-uh. No. I don't think so. Sometimes it's a good word, and we need to practice that word. It's like with parenting. Who's in charge? The parent. So sometimes we say no. The problem arises when we don't like the answer no. 
What do we do? <clears throat> I did this as a kid. If dad said no, I went to mom. If mom said no, I went to dad. And they both said no, I went to the grandparents. You know, I mean, that's just the way it works, you know. We go to the other parent. Or in case of churches, we search for those who agree with us. Or we go to the pastor's council, or we go to somebody else in leadership, and we try to, you know, you know, or, you know, the church member who only receives one view of things can be a very dangerous thing. Or people just leave. They leave the relationships they built. What happens? Well, friendships suffer. The church suffers. The kingdom of God suffers when we don't work things out. My philosophy is this. If you just leave, if you have a disagreement, you're in a sinful nature and you're sinning if you just walk away. You have to talk these things out before you just walk away. Now, sometimes, maybe, it's, maybe the Lord's wanting you to, to go somewhere else to awaken you or to, awaken, you know, or to help somewhere else or whatever. That, that's fine. That, that happens, okay? But if you leave without talking, then you're sinning in the middle of that. Regardless of who's right, who's wrong, if there's a right, if there's a wrong, there may not even be. It may just be a disagreement over something else that's not biblical. But if you walk away, it's not good. Because one thing I know is you will never agree 100% with the decisions that I make or somebody else around the church makes. Why? We're humans. We have a human nature. Sometimes the leadership makes a mistake. What? sometimes the parents are wrong. Have you been, ever been a parent that's been wrong on something? Oh, I, I, here, let me put my hand down. No! <laughs> you know, we've all made wrong decisions. And when somebody apologizes, you know, you've got to be big enough to do those things, but you just can't walk away. It's never a good thing when we do that. Growing up, I got four things. The first I could actually tolerate pretty well. It's that evil eye, you know, from, from my mom. You know, I developed that same look. Brandon knows the look. He just gave me the eye roll, okay? He's developed that look. But, you know, I don't have to say anything. I just give that evil eye, and, they, you know, my, my mom would, would give that look, and I'd know, okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting close to that line, you know? Then I would get the little swat on the head if I'm kind of stepping on the line. You know what swat on? You know, just a up the back side of the head. And you're like, okay, I'm, you know. But the third one was worse. It was the speech. Oh, it took so long. And they repeated the same thing over and over and over. And you're just like, I get it. Will you just be quiet? From a kid's perspective, you understand. But the fourth was the worst. It was a simple statement. Wait until your father is home, and then we will talk. If my mom ever said that, I knew that I'd not only crossed the line, I was out there. And my mom was just like, and she knew that I would stop at that point because that conversation was not a good conversation, you know? But Aaron, he's trying to solve this diplomatically. He's not like, hey, wait till Moses gets back down here and we're going to take care of this. No, no, he's trying to be diplomatic. The problem is with this 
The truth is always narrow. It's like gravity. You don't have to believe in gravity, but you still have to abide by it, right? My two, you know, I, mean, I had to say my two, my four and a half year old, he's like trying to jump up and he's like, I can't jump that high. You know, thinking, neither can I. I, I mean, for some reason, gravity has grabbed a hold of me a little bit more. I used to be able to jump higher, you know, I don't know why. But we don't have to believe in something to have to abide by it. Same thing with Christianity. You don't have to believe, but you're still going to have to deal with it in the end. You can walk out and you can say, well, the, the sky is yellow. It's not blue. Everybody else is like, the sky is blue. Now, I know when the sun goes down, you have a yellow sky at certain points and all that. But the sky is blue. We all know the sky is blue, right? But you can walk out and go, well, the sky is red. You're still wrong. You can say there is no God. They're still wrong. You can say you don't believe in eating and drinking. Well, that's fine. Then don't eat and drink and you will die. There's lots of things that we can say we don't believe in. Truth is truth, no matter what I say, believe, or think. So when Jesus came and said, I'm the only way to the Father, there's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing I, as a human, can say. I can have great, wonderful feelings and go, oh, but, but this religion is so nice, and they, they go to God this way. No. The only way to God the Father is through whom? Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Truth. Whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. Until I die. And then it really matters. See, I don't like talking about hell. No one likes to talk about hell. No one likes to teach about it. But when it comes up in the scriptures, we talk about it. Do I like the idea of hell? You know, some of us would be going, well, for some people I do. You know, until you really start thinking about it. And then it makes you sad. Because I'm not in charge of the truth. Jesus calls himself the truth. So if anybody says anything that contradicts that truth, it's called a lie. It's called a lie. So what Aaron is trying to do here is cross that line, and he can't do that because he doesn't set the truth. The truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is God. Verse 7, it goes on and says, this is the Lord, uh, this, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, God is really mad here. He's almost disowning them. You know, it's like the parent goes to the other parent and goes, your son or your daughter. They're like, I'm done with it. You know, this is the Lord going, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. And this word corrupt in the, in the Hebrew means rotted, mildewed, and stinky. I mean, this is stuff we just throw out, right? They've become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Then they have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Verse 9, I've, set, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked. In other words, they're stubborn, obstinate, or hard-headed. 
They're stiff-necked, <coughs> stiff-necked people. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny that the Lord chose these people. Stiff-necked, stubborn, rude. I mean, just, you can throw obstinate, rotted, mildewed, stinky people. And God chose them. He's mad, but he still chose these people. Because he wants to show the world that he can be faithful to these stiff-necked, obstinate, mildewed, rotting people. He can be faithful to them. Doesn't mean he's not going to get upset. And if he can be faithful to them, then he can surely be faithful to us. Verse 10, it says, Now leave me alone so so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. See, God is not mad at Moses. Now, if Moses had any ambition at all, then it would come out at this point. Okay, sounds good to me. You're not killing me. I can make a great, God's going to, you know, promise to make a nation. But Moses, it says in verse 11, Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. This means he begged to intercede to the point of being ill, okay? That's what the, the, if you go back and you, you study the Hebrew there, it says he was just so sick over it and he was begging God. And he says, oh Lord, why should your anger burn against your people? Moses is like, you know, they're still your people. God, they're still your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and, mighty, and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was, the evil, it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self." I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I have promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Verse 14, then the Lord Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. They, They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets where the work of God with the, uh, the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound, it is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. I could imagine Moses thinking, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to fix this. I'm just going to, when I get down there, I'm going to take care of this. And then he got down there. Man, he, he was destroyed physically. He saw what they were doing, what they'd already destroyed in the spiritual world, what they were already doing. Verse 20, it says, And he took the, the calf they made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into a powder. You know, this is one of those things where you don't mess with Moses right now. You know, parent is angry. Don't, you know, I would go to your room. I would stay out of the way at this point. You know, can you imagine some of the people going, Who does this guy think he is? I think God got the wrong guy to lead. Maybe God didn't pick him after all. Hmm. Get all, you know, gather all the people around that agree with you. 
Look at what he's doing. Now, imagine Aaron. Aaron. You know what Aaron was probably doing? You know that pacing back and forth? How do I explain this to Moses? How do I put this in the best light possible? Said he ground it to a powder, verse 20, scattered it in the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Ooh, tasty. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? He's like, tell me you did something. They they tortured you, right? They did something, right? Verse 22, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. (laughs) I can imagine Moses, you know, he's gained his confidence, but his stuttering probably came back here. Moses is like, you know, that anger just rising in him. And and it says, so I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I don't know. I mean, it just, it was a miracle. It must've been from God. Well, the bull God, not the Lord God. You know, I mean, he's just, it's like he's dancing around the fire trying to figure it all out. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, it says at this point, God whispers into Moses' ear, I'm going to kill him too. Ouch. God is upset. If I was God, this would have been the last that you hear of Aaron. Aaron was put into a leadership position. He's supposed to know better. He's a second in command in a sense. You know, from his family are supposed to be the priests. They're supposed to lead Israel. This would be the last you'd hear from. But what does God do? Well, God is more forgiving than Alan is. God actually forgives him. And as we've already studied, he's making Aaron high priest of Israel. I mean, come on, Lord, surely out of two to four million people, you could find someone better than this guy to lead. The Lord is saying that his grace even covers the leadership when they blow it. As much as it covers each individual when we blow it, God's grace covers everybody. I've known pastors who have blown it in big ways and Christian leadership who have said, you're finished. I've known pastors that, that blow it in big ways and, leader, and Christian leadership says, hey, come here, let me mentor you, let me take you through this time. You need to step out of leadership for a while, but eventually you work yourself back into it. Now, it depends on what's going on, how they're doing it, you know, all these things. There's a bunch of stuff there. But the grace of God covers the leadership just like it covers people. God doesn't kill Aaron. Verse 25, it says, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them uh, go out of control and so become the laughingstock to their enemies. Two things around here. Two, uh, you know, running wild probably means without inhibitions. Okay, and I'll just leave it at that because we have the young ones in here. But two, the enemies of, of Israel, you know, they're afraid because of 
because of, they've seen what God can do. But now these people are worshiping other gods. If, if that gets out, it'll destroy what God has already built. Look who they're worshiping now. This is a dangerous position for Israel. God is their only source of power. And if they disconnect from that power, they don't have any more protection. You know, Lisa put up on the, on the Facebook, uh, and if you're not, you know, click like on the Facebook, and, and you'll see some of the things we put up. But Lisa, uh, you know, put up the deal where there was this uh, sheep uh, over in, I think, uh, New Zealand or something that escaped the pen, you know, and was gone for six years. And the, the uh, shepherd, if you want to call him that, um, found the sheep one day and had six years worth of wool built up on them. And it was interesting, all dirty and dingy and all that. But the shepherd, in about six minutes, shaved the sucker, you know, shaved the little sheep. You ought to see all the wool. And underneath it's as wide as can be. What's interesting is when we get away from the shepherd, we get all this bulk. We get all this stuff wrapped around us, and there's no one there to keep us white as snow. There's no one there. We're not under anybody's care. It's a dangerous position to be in when you're away from the Lord. So Moses takes this drastic measure here. Verse 26, So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. <clears throat> he gives them an, a, you know, a chance for, for uh, repentance here. Because what he's about to do is pretty harsh, but you have to see the opportunity he gives them first. He says, guys, this is wrong. If you're for the Lord, get over here on this side. Okay? Very important. He gives them the chance. This is usually the part that's ignored. See, everybody looks at the harshness and goes, wow, I can't believe he did that. That's not very godly. But they forget about the things that have happened and the opportunities to get it worked out. See, we just focus on the punishment. We don't see the times that, 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 we, that the Lord has given us to, to try to get out of that punishment. But we keep walking down that road. We keep going toward that punishment. And God finally says, well, enough's enough. Here's your punishment. And this is what he's going to do here. Verse 27, it says, then he said to them, this is what the Lord uh, what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, each man sh uh, strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did, the, uh, did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart from the Lord, uh, to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you you this day. I'm not sure they're feeling so blessed at this point. I mean, but this was a terrible necessity. It's like a mutiny. You kind of have to deal with it. It says in verse 30, the, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. I love that. Perhaps. I don't think they're due any, you know, any atonement here. But what God, uh, God told Moses on the mountaintop is that he wanted to kill them all dead. And this is, uh, uh, and we're, we're actually going to stop here today, but this is where the Lord will begin next week uh, with Moses' prayer. He says in verse 31, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, 
Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive the sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. That's a huge statement. You're talking about a leader stepping up. If you don't want these, these people anymore, Lord, then don't take me either. What's interesting to me is, and we'll see this next week, if you're willing to go through tough times with God's people, then you'll see the glory of God. And Moses and the Israelites are going through a tough time, but they will see the glory of God very soon. But that's for next week. So why don't we stand and pray as the worship team comes up here? You know what? Since your voice is gone, why don't we just skip that? So let's pray. Lord, so often in life, as, uh, we're all leaders in different areas, and we pray that we can lead well. We pray that we follow through on, on leading others towards you. We don't let people overstep us and, and take our authority, but at the same time, we listen to the people. We reason with them. We come back to them and say, no, what, what that is, is that's wrong. That's sinful. We don't do that. We don't go against the Lord in this area. We pray we take the example of Aaron of what happened and, and recognize how wrong that was. And we take that to heart. But Lord, we're thankful that when we mess up, <laughs> you forgive us. All we have to do is come to you and ask for forgiveness. And you're willing and able to do that. We love you so much for being able to do that, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless you this week in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.